Welcome to Word on the Clear Street, the monthly podcast at the intersection of finance and technology. I'm your host, Andy Voles, Chief Operating Officer at Clear Street. Joining us today are co-founders, Chris Pento, CEO, and Satin Kumar, CTO. Hey, Andy. Thanks for having us. It's good to be here with you, Andy. Chris, tell me more about Clear Street. For those who don't know, can you explain why you founded Clear Street and what we do? Our mission is to rebuild or build the financial infrastructure that powers financial markets. You know, lots of people say founders are at their best when they're motivated because they've had experiences or pain in their prior prior jobs or prior experience. And for us and our three co-founders, and you'll hear a little bit from Sachin as well, and we could talk a little bit about our third co-founder, Uri, and the pain we felt in this market and what motivated us to start Clear Street. For myself, spent 30 years working in financial services, running global operations. And along the way, I'd always operate on these old legacy infrastructures, these systems built in written in COBOL, running on a mainframe that was trying to process the world securities. It really came to hit me in early 2000 when the huge boom in volume came, when we went to decimalization and reg NMS, and all of a sudden volumes exploded. And you're trying to run all this volumes on a mainframe computer which is just being tapped at its capacity. So early on 2000, we knew we had to replace these technologies. It just didn't get an opportunity to do that. And then when I was introduced to Uri Cohen in 2018, he had a similar experience where he was running a large buy-side firm that was using the legacy infrastructure from many of the prime brokers on the street. And he was realizing the frustrations of trying to operate a business on these legacy platforms, trying to get real-time data from one market in the US while you're trading something in Europe or Asia. These systems were not compatible at all. So he was frustrated at the experience from some of the primes running these old legacy systems. And I was introduced to Sachin through Uri Cohen. And Sachin has a similar experience. And maybe this is a good time to let Sachin say hello and, and tell us a little about himself. Thanks, Chris. So kind of piggybacking off of what Chris mentioned there uh, about ClearShare really being founded on, you know, kind of founder pain. I'll kind of talk about my background a bit and where my pain manifested. So my background, I did market making and high frequency trading, but I did it as a entrepreneur uh, at small firms. So in my prior life, I founded two high frequency trading firms. The first one was in options market making, and the second one was in international futures. And I had that kind of problem of being underserved. If you think about the prime brokerage clearing landscape, there's a big gap between a, say, interactive brokers and a Goldman Sachs or Bank of America. If you aren't sort of the top 1% of institutions out there, you generally are not going to get serviced well. And even if you do, the experience is not really tech enabled. You don't really get real time data. The ergonomics around how you get your data is pretty antiquated. Data integrity is quite can be quite poor. And a lot of that, I think, manifests because of the underlying technology stack that some of these firms use. It hasn't been rebuilt in a long time. It's difficult to rebuild. The incentive structures may not be there to actually rebuild it. And so when we kind of started back in 2018, Chris, Uri, and I, we really wanted to do this the right way and the tech-first way where we start from kind of what I call the bare metal of capital markets directly with the central clearinghouses like TTCC, NSCC, OCC, building directly against that one layer at a time such that we can create amazing products for our customers. And so far, it's been great. We have an awesome team, but we've, we've done a lot and we have a lot more to build. 
you know, he was going to supply the business with $100 million of capital, and I was going to bring my operational experience. And we're like, we need an awesome engineer to kind of complete what we're doing. And Uri's like, I know the great, this great guy. His name is Sachin. You got to meet him. You got to convince him because Sachin's building high-performing trading systems or he's building futures trading systems or crypto exchange. Convince him that this is the right thing. Clearing is the right thing to do. So I grab Sachin and I say, let's go downstairs. We're working at 55 Broadway. And anyone who's been in the city knows 55 Broadway is right downtown by the Bull in Lower Manhattan. And there's this old Chinese restaurant that's been there since... 1970, probably called China Chalet. And Uri's like, make sure you wine and dine Sachin. And I go, okay, let's go down. And like, if you've ever been on like a, a speed dating site, I've heard people story about how they have to make sure they have an out. Well, Sachin and I, because we didn't know each other, we made sure we had an out. This restaurant was literally across the street from our building. It's an upstairs, small little Chinese restaurant. And we decided to go there and have a lunch and over sesame chicken, we decided we're broccoli and chicken. Oh, sorry, broccoli, yeah, and chicken. broccoli and chicken. We shared broccoli and chicken. <laughs> we decided this was the time we we're going to partner together and build this. So uh, it was convincing him that yes, clearing is as impactful or more impactful than building a trading system. Chris had me at cheap fast food. <laughs> <laughs> so when we started, my kind of intuitions around clearing and prime brokerage, I think, were off. I thought it would be a lot simpler than it actually is. I think like how hard could clearing be, right? From a data input, data output perspective. Turns out I was quite wrong on the complexity. There's an incredible amount of what I call business complexity. So in my prior life, I think I dealt with technical complexity, right? In high frequency trading, there's a lot of technical complexity. You have to bypass the kernel, you gotta optimize nanoseconds. When you think about the complexity in clearing and prime brokerage, there's an incredible amount of business complexity. How do you actually manage these workflows? How do you make sure that they're resilient? How do you have monitoring on them? So it's not that either one is harder, it's that they both have different types of complexity. And for me personally, as a technologist, learning that and understanding that and giving it the respect it kind of deserves was a pretty big learning process for me. And, and Chris helped me because Chris has been doing this for a while, not to kind of put him on the spot on his age, but he knows this space really well, has incredible domain experience, and he kind of spoon-fed me all of his operational understanding and knowledge for the past five years. So it's been been a good kind of synergistic relationship between the two of us. The 80 or 90% of what we had to do was very basic, and you can design systems and pretty easily understand it, but it's that last 10 or 20%, the final mile of actually completing the, the underlying complexities that really you really need to have the expertise to understand and, and then think about how to modernize that because your tendency is to, oh, we did it this way the last 30 years. Why don't we do it the same way? And having someone like Sachin come in and really think about, well, what else can be done using modern tooling was really exciting for me. Even from my seat, having come from you know, traditional prime brokerage, we all see the business reason. I actually met Clear Street when I was looking for a clearing firm for my previous shop and having a similarly difficult experience in clearing a fairly simple sell-side brokerage business in the existing environment. So Sajan, you obviously bought in much on the business side because you were knowledgeable about it. How do you get top engineering talent to see the vision and see clearing as an interesting industry and something that they want to work on and a challenge that they want to tackle? Yeah, that was a super important kind of problem for us when we first started. What I saw is people in this space have not the best kind of talent brand. Talent brand is really important if you want to build amazing things that are top tier, you got to get the best people out there. And we have to kind of think about the problem and frame the problem in the right way so that we can get the best. 
And the canonical example that I use is if you think about payments, you know, payments wasn't the sexiest thing out there until the success of a PayPal or a Stripe kind of made the payments infrastructure, the payments rails really kind of an attractive problem for engineers to work on. It turns out that clearing, which is effectively what drives trillions of dollars of modern civilization and modern kind of economics, has a lot of engineering complexity to it. And so some of the things that we've done in terms of writing about these problems in our blogs so that people can learn about these problems and, and see it transparently has really helped curate our talent brand. And I'm really proud to say that today, we have people from the biggest tech firms out there to traditional finance, and we've blended all these amazing people together to help us build the platforms that we're building. Yeah, you know, I think to just watch the ClearStreet brand resonate with people that have not just coming from tech, you know, technologists generally want to run the problems. I think that's great that we've been able to articulate the problem to have tech folks run to it and engineers run to the problem. But seeing the talent we're able to track out of the bank, then the banks who realize there's an opportunity to do things maybe the way they've always wanted to and, and excited about the opportunity, has just been unreal for us, especially in the last year or two since we've raised capital. The ability for us to attract talent has never been better across both finance and tech. So let's pivot a little bit to the prime brokerage business, which is our main vertical here at Clear Street. There's been a lot of change in prime brokerage recently. We've had some major banks leave the industry, Credit Suisse, Deutsche Bank. We've had Nomura. We've had many banks not really growing their prime brokerage business, but retrenching and working to focus on their largest clients. So we think it's, it's been a good time for ClearStreet to enter the industry. And what do we think is different about ClearStreet relative to those banks and why we're going to succeed in an industry that's shrinking outside of the top, top providers? I think the real differentiator for us is the technology, right? What we're trying to accomplish by building a, a single platform for one source of truth across the globe has never been done before. And that's our mission. And then it enables you to build awesome products on top of that. You know, delightful experiences, as Sachin likes to discuss when we have our town halls and in our team meetings, right? What does that mean, a delightful experience? But the core is the underlying infrastructure enables us to build those experiences. Maybe Sachin talk a little bit about what the, the evolution of ClearStreet Studio and how that's leveraging the infrastructure we built. I think the ruthless focus that we have on product and what it means to be a firm that has product-led growth is super critical. And to be honest, Chris mentioned ClearShoot Studio, which is in private beta today. It's one of our flagship products geared towards the traditional hedge fund and sort of active hedge fund and active trader. We really couldn't have built that product until we've created massive platforms. Like we, we needed a clearing and settlement and custody platform. We needed a risk platform. We needed an execution platform. We need a securities finance platform. All of those platforms are all backend services that have no real human kind of interaction. They're just core, heavy, difficult platforms that you need to build in order to actually get to the actual product, which is what a human will actually experience. And we just started building that about a year ago. And we're super excited about the progress we made because it shows that the investment that we made in, in all these platforms are paying dividends now in being able to build these products. And I don't see that kind of focus in some of the incumbents. I'm sure that they have great capabilities and products, but this sort of thing, I think, kind of makes ClearStreet quite unique. In your daily travels, you're talking to you know, clients all the time. Tell us a little things you're hearing from the clients and some of their frustrations. 
there's a lot of common themes with clients, particularly hedge funds, who look to their prime brokers for a variety of products and services. They look for financing, execution, clearing. They look for services such as capital introduction, corporate access, research, investment banking. So the, the prime broker is a extremely critical piece of an investment manager being able to run their businesses. And the main thing that we hear in general is that most funds, and again, if you go up into the top 100 funds in the world, you, you might get a different perspective, but most funds feel like they're underserved by their prime brokers. Now, it's not only, it's not the fault just of the prime broker. If you look at generally what is a prime broker, it's usually a very small division within a very large bank. So even when you're talking about businesses that can generate north of a billion dollars of revenue, they're in giant, systemically important financial institutions who have to look at all their businesses under a lot of different lenses because they're a large financial institution. So I think what we're hearing from clients in general is that you know they feel underserved by their prime brokers. Again, it's not entirely the fault of those prime brokers divisions. There are a lot of outside forces. What we're hearing about ClearStreet is they're excited that there's a technology-enabled or technology-first non-bank prime broker that can move faster give better outcomes and really better support their needs because we don't have some of the systemic issues that the large primes have. So on the technology side, you know, the prime brokers, again, given the client base that they generally want to serve, you know, they expect their clients and their top clients to be somewhat technology enabled themselves. So not necessarily rely on the prime for the technology that they need to operate and optimize their business. So they're expecting to kind of drop a file customers in the morning, pick one up at night, and then process and then do that again and have the clients be relatively self-sufficient. So as Sachin said, when you go outside of that top group, that underserved client base, you know, they're very excited that we're going to give them more robust tools, which means they, they can spend less money and they can spend more time on their investment strategy and hopefully generate better outcomes for their investors. In your travels, it's not common for a client to be able to access their PB for things, you know, via an API key, pull down activity, risk, fees, portfolio performance. That's something that's not common, right? I assume that's something that that's almost maybe in a crypto exchange as a common experience, but certainly not in a PB experience. And I think that's one of the things that Sachin and his team has been able to create is the ability to access data maybe differently than traditional. You get a PDF, you get a CSV file and, and go figure it out from there. Yeah, it's really not common for them to be able to get anything out of their PB intraday except maybe a, a stock locate or a report that's static from the previous evening. Fundamentally, I think that's come from us not really kind of, and this is going to sound kind of controversial, but we're not trying to innovate here. We're trying to bring modernity into an industry that has sort of lagged behind. So some of the things that we do is what any other tech startup would do. So internally, all the services that we build, all the platforms we build are API first. I'm a big kind of fan, maybe too much so, of Jeff Bezos' famous mandate from, I think, 2005, where he said everything that we build has to be externalizable as an API as if it would be consumed by an external party. I think that's super powerful because I think led to somewhat of what AWS became. And in many ways, we're trying to do the same thing. So all of our internal platforms from clearing to risk to securities finance execution, we try to make sure that they're all API first and then as someday could be externalizable. It's not perfect, of course. And as we build products, we're exposing those APIs to our customers so they can pull down the same information that we see. 
one thing I'll point out is on, on the risk side, what we try to do is have kind of radical transparency. The risk that our risk team sees is exactly the same risk that we want our customers to see. So if you, in terms of PL, in terms of shocks, in terms of your real-time margin, whatever our risk team is seeing, you will also see through our product and also through our real-time API stream. So I think that adds a lot of value for customers in being able to know how much leverage they have and what they can trade and what they can't trade. Going back to how we built the system, how much harder is it to build something right with the flexibility and the extensibility than just to put something together that works? It's definitely a lot harder. I think it added multiple years to our journey. I think had we used vendor products for clearing, for execution, for risk, we would have potentially been in the market much earlier. And maybe we could have put some fancy UIs and abstracted some APIs to present to users. But fundamentally, we wouldn't own the data models, right, which is very important. And we wouldn't own the actual tech itself. And so any kind of iterations or modifications or changes to ergonomics, whether that's changing something from a batch to a stream or vice versa, it becomes a lot harder. So we, we chose the painful and, and harder path of building these platforms from scratch so that they have the right ergonomics. It's kept us from going to market in many different ways, whether it's asset classes or personas or geographies, but it's a long-term bet. It's a commitment to doing this the right way so that we can reap those benefits as we mature. And we have, and we're starting to, definitely. Coming back to you, Chris, so you, you mentioned kind of the founding story of ClearStreet, and, and I've heard from you before, kind of walk into a room with three or four people and wondering, where do we go from here? What do we do first? And now we are north of 400 employees. You know, Our growth to date has been you know, driven mostly by U.S. equities and options. I think a lot of platforms get stuck there. I think the whole company is very proud that we recently added fixed income as our first new asset class. We're obviously looking at futures and international. So the question is, what were the challenges along the way and what are the challenges that you see in the future as we go global multi-asset class multi-office etc lots of challenges you walk in a room and you realize how daunting the task is when you make the decision to rebuild everything from scratch right infrastructure then you also have to just run a business right you have to have the, the finance infrastructure risk is critical you have to have the tools available to monitor and operate the business so Drawing on all those different experiences throughout my career, right, you know, we realized what we had to staff, where we had to hire, had lots of people very excited about it. So through, only through my network, right, my network was excited about it. So I was able to attract people to come on board, very talented people from across the business to help join and build this thing from, from early days. I think when Sachin talks about how we were able to use that brand experience to go ahead and attract a bigger, diverse group of people outside of my network, it's exciting not to be able to do that, right? But early days, you know, different things like you need someone to run compliance and you need someone to run the finance team. Right? Those are all the things you need when you build an entity or a business. So early challenges. I think now the challenges are how do we scale and how do we continue to go fast while we're trying to scale? 400 people is very different than four people. And this could be 400 going to 4,000. How do we make sure we're still able to develop and iterate and build without building the bureaucracy, right? So that's one of the things we spend a lot of time on today. We know it's a real challenge. You know, we've been able to bring in talent to help us achieve those goals, but it's to be able to keep the organization able to iterate and build and create while you're trying to meet and run a business, 
And I think those are one of the challenges. And I think Sachin spent a lot of time in making sure we organize ourselves so that we can scale. We can add 100 engineers over the next year or two and make them productive. Right? How do you do those things? And I think that's what we spent a lot of time on. And we just recently were able to add new talent to the organization, you know, very senior leadership to the team that has experience doing these things. And I think that's what we're excited about. Organizational design is hard, right? And it's a design problem. It's an architectural problem. Just like scaling systems, you have to really think about how do you scale humans. And to Chris's point, we've tried to organize ourselves such that we can abstract a common core that encompasses maybe 80% of the brokerage kind of capabilities and functionalities that could be used across many different personas and asset classes. I think one of the things that we're trying to do as a company is have a wider spectrum of customers that we can go after anyone from the active trader to the hedge fund to a, a market maker, right? And all the three of those personas are roughly 80% the same. And what differs is, you know, maybe the 20%. And keeping that in mind and how we kind of organize ourselves internally such that we can go after all these type of personas is very critical to our growth. And we really need to have kind of tech-first principles of how we organize ourselves in that respect. I know and one thing we'd like to say is, we have a really fast highway, but we want to add lanes to that highway. Be multi-threaded as we continue to grow. The end of 2021, we actually, right in December, we actually tripled our volume in the end of 21. And then right at the end of 22, we actually tripled our volume again, right? That's very difficult to do. What's the engineering challenge with the ability and how we've designed our system to make that possible where maybe other firms, not that it's not possible, maybe they couldn't do it in the timelines that we did it. Yeah, no, so the additional scale that we have and the ease of which we can turn up the scale is important. It comes from a couple places. First is that we are completely cloud native. So everything that we run is in AWS and therefore we're afforded the kind of turnkey scale solutions that AWS has. If we need to increase the, the CPU or storage for a database, you sign in and you, you click the button and it, and it upgrades, right? That's one part of it. The second part of it is our own internal architecture of how we've created our applications. Many of our applications can scale horizontally, which means that we can increase the number of replicas for an application and traffic and throughput increase by that horizontal scaling. So when we doubled our traffic and doubled it again, it was an, a huge lift for us wasn't something that took us months in advance to plan. Chris wanted to, wanted to kind of bring it. He did lose to sleep though, right? I mean, did. it wasn't, yeah, <laughs> I, heard I, I don't want to oversell. I mean, there was a concern, right? If we drop messages or data gets corrupted, there are massive consequences. So we give it the respect it deserves. We plan with the respect that it deserves, but the actual implementation lift turns out to be a lot smaller. I think in other shops that are running in data centers, they need to order new servers. They need to figure out how to upgrade their Oracle databases. It can be a bigger lift. And for us, if we need to double again, I think we could safely do that. So we talked about scale in technology and, and obviously scale in people, but we also need scale in our capital base to grow our business. So we recently raised a fairly significant amount of capital. What were the reasons for that? What was our experience? And what's the future for Clearstreet from a capital perspective? From the capital standpoint, we raised $435 million over the last year or so, the year and a half. And for us, it's about accelerating our path. Right? This is a huge opportunity. It's a huge TAM. First of all, the TAM in our business is, some people quoted well over $100 billion. It's a huge opportunity across the globe. For us, it's about expansion. How do we be able to serve those clients? You know, Sachin talked about expanding personas or expanding geographies. 
expanding asset classes, those things need to make take investment. And the ability to have capital to make those investments is really important to us. The ability to then have capital that we can then show our clients that we are well capitalized, they could trust us with their money, their personal money. That's important as well. So the capital kind of plays two roles. It's one for comfort to our clients and counterparties that we are an established real entity, a trustworthy entity. The other one is to fuel the growth, right? To be able to add those asset classes and geographies at the same time, add more lanes to the highway, right? That's what the purpose of that capital is. It's just a great opportunity. And in reality, is in a very difficult market. We were able to close that capital raise, which is a real testament to the organization, the team, and the effort the team has put in to be able to develop and iterate and show progress that enables us to raise that capital. Where do you see Clear Street going in the next five years? We had our fifth year anniversary this year. And so for, for the next five years, where do we see the company evolving to and going to? I'm more excited for the next five years than I was for the first five years. The progress we've been able to make, the talent we've been able to bring in, it's exciting where this, where this company could be five years from now. If I, you know, looking back, walking in a room, Satya and I at the, at the restaurant, figuring out if this is the right decision till today with 400 people and significant revenue and multiple business lines. We've accomplished a lot, but we have a long way to go, and I'm really excited for the future. Things like the investment banking team. So the high-touch services we need to add to compete in the prime brokerage space from a high-touch standpoint, we're excited to add and to onto the platform. Banking, Andy, I know you're personally attached to the banking business. So that team is something that we're excited about adding from a white glove service. We have a great presence in the cap intro area, right? So a capital introduction team has had significant successes over the last year or so since they've been part of the organization, delivering capital to our clients so that they could grow their businesses. We're excited to add in corporate access. Another thing that we think adds a white glove service to our clients. So those are just a couple of things that are from a service standpoint that we're excited to add. We just went out and bought a futures clearing platform that we're gonna bolt on, a modern futures clearing platform that no one has ever tried to build in the last 30 or 40 years, a modern futures clearing system. That's getting bolted onto our system as we speak. And the ability to then run the futures business on that platform, that's super exciting for us. And hiring the team around that to support that business is really exciting. And then we have to think about outside the US. Right now, we are a US-focused firm. How do we grow globally? How do we build our infrastructure and our technology stack to become global and multi-tenant so that we can operate in a single platform. That's the challenge we're undertaking right now as we speak. We have engineers working on that challenge as we speak. Sachin and his organization, and now we brought in John, and his ability to kind of help us hire externally outside the U.S., we're excited about the ability to see what that looks like. I agree with Chris that the next five years, I think I'm more excited about than the first five, just because the first five are always painful in terms of building, getting product market fit and proving kind of viability. So we've, I think, done that and been very successful at it. But yeah, the next five years is kind of really non-linearly growing from there. And ultimately the KPI that I think distills everything in my mind is market share. So today we are maybe two to 3% of the US equity volume on a, on a given day. And why that matters and the way that I frame it to other engineers is it's kind of like if you think about Google's market share in search, the more market share that they have, the more probabilistically they can serve up an ad that they can monetize. In the same way for us, the more market share that we have in a given asset class or geography, the more ways we can either finance that or make economics on the transaction. And so the more market share we have means the more critical we are, the more we can turn the flywheel in generating revenue. So 
us seeing 10, 15, 20% market shares in various different asset classes is super exciting. I think it's actually within reach for sure. Yes, and when you think about those white glove servers that complement what we're doing on the engineering side, you know, this ClearSheet Studio, the product we're able to offer, and then the services on top of that, you were a big proponent of banking and bringing in things like corporate access. Maybe touch on why that's so complementary to what the platform that we're building is offering and how that differentiates us. Sure, I think what differentiates us is the way that we can organize those businesses to work together. So if you look at any large institution, I don't just mean financial institutions that have multiple business lines, there's often conflict between those business lines about who owns the customer, who's generating the revenue, you know, who's setting the priorities for each business line. And that's definitely the case within kind of large financial institutions that have research and corporate access and investment banking and trading and securities lending. We're a tech firm, right? Why are we doing corporate access or why are we doing banking, right? But it, it, they're really related. I think that's the message, right? I mean, how do you think about that when you want, when we get asked by not just our own employees, but even from outside folks, you know, you're focusing on tech, you're fintech, why those things? We have our core platform, that's our fintech, but we've built successfully, given our technology advantages, which are, which are multiple and we can get into, other more, I'd say, traditionally focused businesses like Prime Brokerage. And the customer base of Prime Brokerage are generally traditional hedge funds. And kind of the way the industry works is that those businesses generate revenue within their Prime Broker through Prime Brokerage, not to double say that. And then their expectation- well, What does that mean? That means commissions, it means yeah, transaction it, it, it revenue. So it's commissions, it's transaction revenue, commissions obviously on, on all asset classes, clearing fees, and then financing revenue. So revenue from the money that we lend them to lever their strategies the way they want to and from the securities lending market. So they're generating a pool of revenue and the standard practice within the industry is that they then get access to other services. Cap intro probably being the main one that's actually not generally a direct revenue driver, meaning it's a truly a white glove service. And then the other complementary services like investment banking, research, and corporate access as well are generally an important part of the prime brokerage and trading relationship that hedge funds and other financial institutions have with the sell side in general. Now, I think where we could be different is, one, those are good businesses in and of themselves. They're profitable. They don't require a lot of assets to run. They're really human-driven businesses, so they're good businesses as well from a margin perspective. But... A good investment banking deal will drive account openings for clients that want to participate in that deal much faster than a relationship will or a research report. A good trader that gets an account open from an investment banking deal has the opportunity to build a trading relationship and then the ability to cross-sell a prime brokerage relationship. So the way I look at it is they're necessary businesses, but given how we can organize our firm relative to some of the other firms out there, they're extremely cross-sellable and complementary businesses. And I think we can capitalize on that better than anyone else in the street. I just want to say thank you to Chris and Sachin for joining me here today. We appreciate your perspectives and thanks for fielding all the questions and talking about the, the formation and the history of the company. Thank you for joining us for Word on the Clear Street, available wherever you get your podcasts.